in life always comes as we are looking outside of ourselves to the other person. We started with John the Baptist who gave us the message that we matter. Who we are, the kind of people we are, what we do, it really matters. And then last Sunday, the week of our groundbreaking ceremony, we explored the idea of God being bigger than this worship space and how God is not bound to the walls of this theater and how the show needs to continue out the door. And we know that we have to take God and his love with us when we go out because fewer and fewer people are finding their way into a church service on a Sunday morning. Well, today, we're going to read a fishing story in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to wonder about how we might need to become smaller so Jesus can become bigger. It reminds me of the plaque on Steve McConnell's desk from John 3.30 that says, John the Baptist speaking about Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. So I've asked Jeannie Blasey to read the scripture passage for us today. And it comes from the fifth chapter of Luke, verses 1 through 11. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake at Genesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had, been, that had, they had taken. And so also were James and John sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to the Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Thanks, Jeannie. Let us pray. Gracious God, open our hearts and minds to the word just read and the words to come so that we might encounter and be transformed by the living Lord, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. They left everything and followed him. Everything? Luke says, everything. That's quite a fishing story. 
my experience of fishing, I'm afraid, is limited to sitting on a dock in northwest Montana with my dad, casting a small hook with a wiggly worm, hoping that a sunfish would fall for my trick and gobble the worm and then try to swim away. I always had my eyes on that bobber because then I know the bobber would go down and it would be my signal that I could reel it in and have fish for supper. Now, if that bobber never moved for, say, five minutes or 10 minutes, I was pretty much done fishing. Let's just say fishing is not my idea of a fun hobby or a pastime. So if Jesus would have come up to me and said, Lori, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching people. I would have gladly set down my pole and followed Jesus right then and there. Because you see, I didn't have much invested in fishing. Simon Peter, though, is another story. He and his companions, James and John, are professional fishermen. They own boats. They provide for their families with the fish that they catch. This is who they are. Their identity is very closely tied to their profession. And I think we might be somewhat the same. When we meet someone new, after we hear their name, one of the first things we tend to ask them is, so what do you do? Or if they're retired, we say, so what did you do before you retired? That simple question, we think, gets to the heart of who someone really is. It implies that our occupation is our identity. And many times it is. In fact, I read that retirement is so difficult for some people because they've poured so much of themselves into their jobs that they didn't take the time or the energy to develop other interests. Their job is what gave their life meaning, and not having that can be one of the worst stresses of all. So for Simon Peter and the boys to walk away from their career, their job, that part of ourselves that is woven into the very fabric of our being makes this a remarkable story. The departure from their profession made them a bit smaller, less of me, more of him. I'm not sure if these fishermen were leaving behind any hobbies because I don't think leisure time had been invented yet. The majority of their time was spent, I'm sure, at the base of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, trying to take care of their basic physiological and safety needs. But they did leave behind their possessions. Again, in first century Palestine, their possessions are a far cry from the mountain of stuff that we have. But these men did walk away. They left their boats, their nets, and that huge catch of fish. Well, this sounds impossible, to walk away from our possessions. I don't know about you, but I've got some really good stuff. And maybe, maybe it's impossible to walk away from or let go of our stuff if we haven't first had an encounter with Christ. So Jesus, the part-time preacher, part-time carpenter, tells the experienced fishermen, who are professionals, by the way, to go out into the deep water and to let their nets down. Can't you just see Peter rolling his eyes, going, uh, master carpenter, master preacher, we've worked all night long, and we've caught nothing. Nada. Zippy. In fact, we've already fished those waters that you're trying to send us out into. But perhaps, just perhaps, there was something in the teaching that Jesus did that day from Peter's boat that caused Peter to trust him 
and to obey. Because Peter says, yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. And we know what happened. A huge, unbelievable miracle of fish. So many fish, in fact, it begins to sink both of the boats. And in that moment, Peter knows that the kingdom of God is right there in the boat with him. Peter responds by falling down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. You see, to encounter God, one encounters her own sinfulness, her own inadequacy, her own limitations, less of me, more of him. In that moment, Peter knew that his possessions meant nothing in comparison to the opportunity to follow Christ, to be with Christ, to be enveloped in his love. The same power that prompted Simon to fall at Jesus' knees now lifts him up into God's service, leaving everything else behind. But leaving everything behind sounds like such an overwhelming sacrifice, doesn't it? When we hear the word sacrifice, we often think of completely selfless acts in which someone does something for another entirely for the other person's behalf. The image of a soldier sacrificing his or her life for their comrade frequently comes to mind. But sacrifice isn't purely altruistic. The best definition of sacrifice is this, to forfeit something for something else considered to have a greater value. For example, wouldn't we let go of an earthly possession where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal in order to grab onto the hand of Christ? Do you remember the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? Elsa, that beautiful Nazi woman, is dangling over the abyss. One of her hands is held on by Indiana Jones and the other hand is just reaching for the holy grail, but she can't quite reach it. So she's trying to grab it, and she has this decision to make, what is more valuable? And she thinks she can have both. So instead of choosing to grab his hand for her safety, it, co it costs her her life, and she plummets to her death. Now, Indiana Jones almost suffers the same fate as his dad holds on to him. He, too, reaches for the grail but he listens to the advice of his father and he sacrifices the thing that is worth less, the artifact, for the thing that he values more, his life and the chance for another adventure. Following Jesus is definitely an adventure. Even so, if you're like me, you still may squirm just a bit and wonder how this passage applies to us. Today, January 22nd, 2017, in Sarasota, Florida, is God really calling me to leave everything? Well, not to let us off the hook too easily, but I do wonder if it might depend upon our own personal encounter with Christ. There was something so compelling about the encounter with Jesus that in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the fishermen don't even give it a second thought. They just leave everything and start following him. James Barnett is a young man who grew up in a Christian family in Boynton Beach, Florida. He went to church on Sundays, youth group on Wednesday nights, and he went on mission trips, both in high school and in college. He was a great kid, a good Christian, who really didn't make bad choices. 
James did service work and he even volunteered at a homeless shelter, but he couldn't get past this feeling that something was missing. He had graduated from Florida State University and he took a job with J.P. Morgan Chase, making almost a six-figure six salary, but he wasn't happy. He called a buddy who he knew was going on a mission trip to Latin America. He took a few days off of work and within three weeks he was on a plane to Nicaragua. James Barnett's encounter with Christ came through a Jamaican prophetess named Mrs. Ruby on a city dump in Nicaragua. This dump called La Chereca is the final destination for most of the city's garbage, including mountains of fecal matter, medical waste, and battery acid. Hundreds of people live inside of this dump where families construct their homes out of trash. Mrs. Ruby had come to live among the poorest of the poor, praying over them and speaking to them on God's behalf. On his last day in Nicaragua, James went to the prophetess for a prayer and a blessing. As James kneeled on the floor of her home, just outside the gates of the dump, she poured oil over his head and she began to speak in tongues, which, by the way, was way outside of his normal church experience. James said, I was expecting something transformational. I mean, how often do you get outside of the country to be prayed over by a prophetess in the middle of a dump? Finally, Mrs. Ruby fell silent. She looked at James and said, Child, the Lord wants you to know you have not been obedient. James was furious. He had worked so hard to do all the right things, to live a good life. He didn't understand how he couldn't be obeying. She said calmly, My child, your obedience isn't defined by what you don't do by what you do for the world, for the, for the world that your God so loved. So we'll do that again. Your obedience isn't defined by what you don't do, but by, but by what you do for the world, your God so loved. Slowly, James began to feel convicted that there was a difference between admiring Christ and following him. Think of when you admire someone. An admirer reads about the person, hangs pictures, wears jewelry, dreams about them, maybe even writes about them. But there usually is this certain distance, isn't there? Compare that to a follower. A follower packs a bag and goes on the road with them. And remember, Jesus calls us to travel light. Less of me more of him. So James Barnett's encounter with Christ caused him to come home and quit his job. He talked to his family who gave their blessing and he sold all of his stuff and he became homeless for two years. He became the poor so he could learn to love them and to learn from them and to serve them. Today, James has a nonprofit organization called Clothe Your Neighbor as Yourself. He now lives in a parsonage in Melbourne, Florida, where 70-plus kids call him their youth pastor. Others call him a saint. Some call him crazy. But the homeless who met James along his journey will always call him by his nickname. They gave him on the streets, Mr. Butters, because as they say, he spreads the love 
like he spreads butter. When Jesus calls us to leave everything and follow him, he is always, always calling us on an adventure. And he's always calling us to something better. Jesus may disrupt family structures and patterns of working and living, but he does so not to destroy, but to renew and to make more room for him, which means to have more room for love. Kathy Fletcher and David Simpson had their family dinner table disrupted. They have a son named Senti who went to Washington, D.C. public schools. Senti had a friend who sometimes went to school hungry. So Senti invited him to occasionally sleep over at his house and to eat with his family. That friend had a friend who had a friend. And now when you go to dinner on Thursday nights at David and Kathy's, there might be 15 to 20 teenagers crammed around the table, and later there will be groups of them crashing in the basement or upstairs in the few small bedrooms that they have. You see, it's unusual for these kids to even have a bed of their own. The kids who show up at Kathy and David's have endured the ordeals of modern poverty, homelessness, hunger, abuse, sexual assault, Almost all of them have seen death firsthand to a sibling, a friend, and even a parent. A 21-year-old woman came to dinner one week and said that this was the first time that she had been around a family table since she was 11 years old. Dinners are served family style. Cell phones are banned because Kathy wants everyone to be present, to be in the now. They give young people a gift, complete intolerance of social distance. When a new visitor first met Ed, who was a regular diner there, she held out her hand to shake his, and he said, he looked at it and he said, uh-uh, we hug here. Kids come to dinner at Kathy and David's because they are hungry for something beyond food. Each meal, they go around the table and everyone has to say something that no one else knows about them. They also have a chance to share some of their gifts, like poetry, music, or storytelling. The kids need what all adolescents need, bikes, laptops, and a listening heart. After a cry on the couch, one young woman, woman told Kathy, thank you for seeing the light in me. Bill Milliken, a, a veteran youth activist, is often asked, which program turns around kids' lives the most? And he says, I still haven't seen one program change one kid's life. What changes people is relationships. Somebody willing to walk through the shadow of the valley of adolescence with them. Souls are not saved in bundles, but rather one person at a time. And love is the necessary force. Sometimes Kathy and David are asked how they ended up with so many kids flowing through their house. They look at how many kids there are out there, and they respond, how is it possible that you don't? By having less of the traditional family dinner time, they made room for more love, less of me, more of him. So what about you? What about me? as we try to live into our mission statement at Church of the Palms, to love God and to love neighbor? Is there something that we need to let go of or to make smaller in our lives so that there's more room for Jesus, 
more room for love? What might we need to leave behind so that we can follow Christ more closely? You see, I don't believe that Jesus is calling us to abandon those we love, our families, our communities, or our work, whether it's volunteer or paid. But I know that Jesus intends for us to have a life that is filled with love, forgiveness, and service to others. Make no mistake, when Jesus is calling us to fish for people, it starts in our own fishing hole, one relationship at a time. Mother Teresa didn't look at the masses of people. She looked at the person in front of her, one face, one smile, one person at a time. Jesus calls us to live our lives, to care for our families, to engage in our work, our community, and our church in such a way that following Christ and living as his disciples is at the very center and heart of every single thing that we do. And maybe what Jesus is calling us to leave behind are our feelings of pride or control and judgment so that we make more room for his love. God so loved all the people in this world that his son left everything to become small like us. An encounter with Christ is an invitation to an abundant life where we don't become big, but we become small so that we can love more. Let's pray. Creator God, we thank you for the gift of your son who left everything and made himself small to live among us, to love us and to teach us how to love others. Gracious God, we pray that your presence in our lives will be anointing oil that helps us to loosen the grip we have on anything that keeps us from following you more closely. Empty us of our pride, our need to control, and our harsh judgment of others, and fill us, O oh Lord, with your love. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. 